the only people that were in their classrooms were people who were evaluating them. And so it was for a little bit kind of this sense of going back to themselves. Like they would often go like, how did I do? Did that like, you know, they, they talk about themselves where now I'm seeing this shift of like, what did you see from the students? I see the teachers asking me that, which is, which means we're, we're making progress. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney, and I'm the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching and our newest book, Moves for Launching a New Year of Student-Centered Coaching. And I'm Brandon Lewis, an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. Today, we have a great interview lined up. We're going to be focusing on this idea of co-teaching and working together in the classroom. And our interview is with Azra Boshniak, who is a learning coach in Boise. And she's at East Junior High School, which is a seventh through ninth grade school. And um, I'm really excited to connect this conversation to a coaching lab we had last week with Azra and I got to be working with her in a classroom with a teacher who was a first year teacher in the district. So today's conversation is pretty timely and I think it also really connects to some questions we oftentimes have just about what does it look like for a coach and teacher to work together in a classroom when instruction is happening. So welcome to the podcast, Azra. Hello. Thanks for being here, Azra. I'm excited to, to dig into the work that you're doing with teachers in Boise. So before we get going with the conversation, I think it's a good idea just to get clear on some language and some common misconceptions we have, um, or we hear from coaches just about this language of co-teaching that we use. It's one of our core practices. It's, it's um, really an important part of student-centered coaching, but it can create some confusion because I think often people think about co-teaching as being co-delivering. Um, and I'd like us to broaden our, our thinking about that. I'd like us to think more that co-teaching is working together in the classroom, coaching in the classroom. And when you think about teaching, good teaching and good learning, you we know it's more than just the delivery. It's more than just what is the teacher saying. There's this whole side of assessment that happens. There's the pacing of a lesson. There's the support um, for students who need extra clarity or a conference, or there's just so many elements to teaching a lesson that I would love for us today to not be thinking about it as co-delivery if we use that language, co-teaching. So when we use that language, when we're thinking about our core practice, we're really thinking about what is it like to be together in the classroom when instructions happening. And so I thought it would be helpful to frame that because one thing we often hear, especially in the secondary world, like Azra, is teachers don't want me teaching in their classrooms. They don't want me taking over their classrooms. And that shows a sign of kind of a misconception that that term co-teaching 
means a coach is coming in and teaching for the teacher, but instead it's really about partnering in the classroom while instruction's happening. So just wanted to make sure that was clear. Do you guys have anything to add on about that? Have you ever run into that misconception in your work? I just feel like I'm, I'm glad that we just are approaching this kind of at the beginning. That way, as we jump into it, we can just, I guess, just say it and just go. And it, we don't have to worry about like, you know, giving like a frame of reference every time we say it or something like that. So I'm glad that you took the time to explain that. Um, I do feel like you had mentioned the secondary world and how sometimes it might come across that way. Like with me being um, an elementary coach in a, in a K-5 setting, um, I do feel like that the the co-teaching, when I, when I do think of that, I do think of just being present in the room with the teacher and their students and whether that is collecting evidence or it's delivering some of the content or wh whatever it could be like, I do, I think I naturally think of that as co-teaching. So um, hopefully the people that are out there listening um, can kind of understand what we mean when we talk about that. Yeah, and I would just say that it's, I think just making that adjustment this year has been huge. Last year, I I felt like I did a lot of noticing and naming. And so just, I think, I think we always strive for it because it's the most fun is when it feels like a partnership when we're co-delivering stuff and you feel like you're a teacher again in some way um maybe that's that's kind of when you experience that it's I feel like you want to always strive for that in all of your cycles it's interesting you point out that that feeling of being a teacher again feels good and so that might be part of all of this interesting point yeah well it'll be fun to hear how you're approaching this work especially i didn't mention as we're being a second year coach so you're you're really far into your development as a coach there's been a lot of support so um it'll be fun to hear how do you approach this this core practice of co-teaching azra when you're partnering with teachers and their students in the classroom during coaching cycles what does that look like yeah, it just kind of depends mostly on the teacher. Um, it's a variety of things. I think like what Diane was hitting on in the beginning, um, sometimes it's we're I'm just noticing naming and helping gather evidence. Being in a secondary setting, my background is math. And so I don't always have the content knowledge. For example, I did a coaching cycle with my orchestra teacher. It was one of the cycles I was most proud of, and it did feel like a partnership. And um, my voice in there felt felt like a teacher voice and not so much like this outsider person chiming in here and there, which sometimes at the beginning it feels like that. But when you're in there long enough, it's like, oh, this is also a person who's directing us. So, so I'm not, I, kids would ask me, like, is my violin in tune? And they'd play their violin for me, and I had no idea because I have no music background. And so I'd ask them to refer to their neighbor. And, um, but the thing I noticed that I could do in that class was I could clarify directions and I could pull the class back together if, if the teacher was comfortable with me doing that. Another piece that I find is a great way to integrate myself in the classroom is asking questions. So if the teacher is giving instructions and I can tell that kids have a question, but no one's willing to ask that question. That's a great opportunity for me to speak up and raise my hand. And that's something I will have talked to the, the teacher about ahead of time. Um, so yeah, sometimes it is co-delivering. Uh, and that's only when I've co-planned and clearly understand the content. And when I work with my math teachers, it's different. I'm in the building I taught. And so we 
we've partnered for over a decade together. And so they are comfortable sometimes with me taking the reins, but I never, I never lead with that. Um, often they'll look at me and they'll go, do you have anything else to add? Which has been one of my favorite things that teachers do while I coach. Um, and some do it naturally, but I've been trying to kind of think of a way how I could integrate that into my co-planning is kind of, or even partnership agreement of, hey, if you're feeling like maybe I forgot something, feel free to say, hey, Ms. Boschnack, do you have something to add? Yeah, so it sounds like I'm just going to surface a couple of our moves I'm hearing just to, for those who are studying up on student-centered coaching, it sounds like you're doing a little bit of that um, noticing and naming where you're listening to kids, but also jumping in and creating a space for um, kind of to help reinforce whatever the lesson is being taught. But in the content that you're more familiar with, it's like a spectrum. Sometimes in those rooms, you're the way you are partnering with teachers will be different because you have the content. So that's a really great point. But I do want to underscore something you said that you don't have to have that content knowledge to be free to add value while you're in the classroom, because that orchestra cycle example is such a good example of you, you add value, even if you're not, and you said it was one of your favorite coaching cycles. So that's, that's something sometimes it takes coaches a while to trust. I'm trying to remember back last year, how'd you feel about the idea of coaching in classrooms where you weren't necessarily working in a math, you were, you weren't in a math classroom. Right. Yeah. I, I think I was, I was nervous about it, but I quickly, you, you quickly realize that it's, it is junior high, right? So I'm an educated adult, so I can pick up on most things pretty quickly. Um, and content seems different when you're an adult, but you quickly kind of learn with the kids. And the most exciting part about it was I was learning stuff that I didn't, or I was taught at some point, but it clearly didn't stick. And so I'd come to, home to my husband and I would say like, guess what I learned in science today, or guess what I learned in history. And, and you can kind of take it all in as a student and then bring up great questions because you, you are seeing it both from the teacher perspective and the student perspective in that sense and bring up great perspectives for the teacher to consider. I've said it on here before, but I do feel like the most meaningful coaching work does take place when it is something that's out of your like comfort zone or for you in the secondary world, out of your constant area. Like when you enter and you have to do a lot of learning yourself, like it becomes authentic and you are experiencing it as a learner. So therefore you really are coming like alongside the students because as they are learning, you're learning too. And I do just feel like it makes questions you ask much more authentic um, because you have that it's purposeful because you need to know it too. Well, and when and you're asking the teacher those questions and they give you some sort of explanation and I think in secondary, we get really caught up in our vocabulary. You know, we think everybody knows the vocabulary we know. So we'll just talk like that. And then teachers are always stopping and going like, oh, maybe there's kids in my room that don't know here I am using this word. Um, like everybody in the room knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's so true. You also said something I want to I want to highlight this a minute ago, which was you plan before you co-teach to to pop into a room without having had that planning conversation is a bit of a a wasted effort. Can you speak a little bit more to the connection between co-planning or the importance of co-planning before you're even in the room? Yeah, I think this is what sets up the co-teaching to be successful and feel like you guys are on the same team as opposed to you're just like this observer 
in the room, standing in the back, not sure where to interject. Um, when you both have a clear understanding of where the lesson is going, what the flow of the lesson is going to be, and what the student learning that's happening during that lesson is going to be, I feel like there's an opportunity almost to prep for or anticipate points of confusion and misconception that students might have. Um, and from that, from there, maybe even say, hey, is it, is it okay if I interject at this spot and kind of play this role of student in case any other any students don't ask this question. And so you're kind of setting up that partnership feel before you're even in the room together. That is so well said. To be in the room observing or not knowing why you're there is so uncomfortable for not only the teacher, but for the coach as well. Yes, awesome. So when we're setting ourselves up for success for this work, for this ability to be in there with purpose and to be in the room with purpose and to have planned and prepared for this, that really reminds me of the importance of partnership agreements. And are you, um, do you, how do you, I guess I'm curious, I know you approach your work using partnership agreements, but would you mind sharing a little bit about how you do that, what those look like? what your process might be for a partnership agreement? Yeah, so something I think I was very hesitant about last year, because it's the first year that coaching was introduced in our district. Um, I just was nervous that teachers would think this was a lot of work and they didn't, I was just trying to build up buy-in, 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 buy-in. Let me get in as many rooms as I can to kind of model what I could do. And this year, a focus of mine has really been transparency with cycles. So oftentimes teachers will approach me with one specific thing or ask me to meet and we'll meet and I will say, you know, this sounds like a coaching cycle to me. This sounds like a full cycle. And I just want to be transparent of what that would entail if we committed to this work together and being transparent about, yes, we're co-teaching two to three times a week together, if not more, depending on what the lesson looks like. We but at minimum, we're co-planning once a week. And so that was the part I shied away from last year because I was worried about, especially in secondary world, we have so little time to collaborate. I was worried about taking their precious like 45 minute prep time. And now you're dedicating that to me, but instead changing that to be like, I'm not taking that time away from you. This is work you would have already done, but now we're doing it collaboratively as a partnership. I start with that. And then we talk about what student learning will happen um, we talk about kind of how, what does my role look like in their room? And I will always ask like these two questions that seem silly, but, and actually I was thinking about adding a third question onto this and I'll say that in a minute, but can I correct student behavior? Because I am also a teacher. And so like, it's, it's, it would be weird if I was like, Hey, stop doing that. And the teacher's like, actually, I don't want you. And I think in that sense, it feels even more like, oh, we're in this together. Like you're, you're going to. It, like these are your kids and my kids and we're just working with kids together the other thing is can I ask questions so kind of what I was saying before is are you comfortable with me interjecting and asking questions the third thing I think I should add is like can I tell kids to go to the bathroom if they want to kids <laughs> more, and more and more keep coming up to me and say can, especially can I go to the bathroom and I'm like what is the bathroom policy in here <laughs> so so that well, that was actually when I was going to add to my partnership agreement was, do you want me to tell them to come to you or should they come to me? Um, but always centering it back to student evidence and just kind of reiterating to the teacher, 
we're not really, we're going to talk effective instruction, but we're always rooting back to how do the students respond to the thing that we brought to you. And I will be gathering a lot of that information um, as we are co-teaching together. I love those questions. Um, I mean, we talk about clarity in learning for students and then also for teachers, right? As before you're preparing for something, but it's important to have that clarity in that relationship, almost like thinking about like boundaries or something like that. Like we just want to establish those norms. So therefore we don't have to worry about any of that stuff when we're in there and we can really focus on, on the learning. So I do think those questions are great. Do you, I'm kind of curious, do you, so you, you had questions that you like to ask do you kind of give an opportunity for them to like say some other stuff back when you're kind of working on those agreements? Yeah, I think um, I just leave it open-ended to like, is there anything that you absolutely don't want me to do while I'm in your room? Um, you know, and I'll say like, I'll never correct the content or do anything like that or embarrass you in front of the students. All my questions will be from a learner standpoint. Um, but then are there things that you is there a focus that you really want me to have while I'm in there? And sometimes teachers will say like, you know, in this specific period, I'm struggling with this one thing. And so I, can you just make sure that that's happening while I'm up there? So it just kind of, like, it could just be like, hey, there's this back table of students who often gets off task. Can you just stand closer to them if they start to get off task? And, um, but for the most part, I think teachers this year have been just kind of understand more what my role looks like. Last year, I felt like um, the only people that were in their classrooms were people who were evaluating them. And so it was for a little bit kind of this sense of um, going back to themselves. Like they would often go like, how did I do? Did that like, you know, they talk about themselves where now I'm seeing this shift of like, what did you see from the students? I see the teachers asking me that, which is, which means we're, we're making progress. Hooray. Yeah. The culture is shifting. I mean, that's what that means, right? Yeah. That's awesome. I am so gleeful as you say that. I mean, I'm literally just so happy to hear that. The power of having someone in your room for non-evaluation purposes is a long time coming in our schools. So glad you're there to do that with teachers. Me too. You had mentioned the culture shift and how teachers are starting to focus more on maybe the learning that was taking place while you guys are in there co-teaching together rather than maybe how they did or how you feel that they did or anything like that. So how do you guys actually go about collecting evidence when you guys are in the classroom together? Um, so my iPad has been my best friend. I, I feel like all I do is take pictures and kids now have gotten accustomed to the moment they see me with my, their iPad, they like move their hands and everything off their paper. So like, okay, I know she's coming to take a picture of my work. Um, and it's funny because they, they want to show off their work. Cause if I, if I don't get to someone, they're like, did you, did you want to take a picture of mine too? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course. Let me take a picture of yours as well. Um, so pictures have been huge. And then later, um, sometimes in, depending on what we're going to do with that specific evidence, sometimes I'll take the pictures and responses and put that in a Google doc for teachers. So it's a little easier to read and we can kind of scaffold our work from there, from that student evidence. The other thing is just if I need to jot down some notes and then a lot of noticing and naming and a lot of co-conferring while we're in there together, like, hey, I'm looking over there. And this is something that Diane, I, I think it was you who pointed it out last Friday was 
when we talked about Allie and I co-teaching and how often her and I came together and said, hey, I'm noticing a lot of students are going this route or I'm noticing this is happening. How can we address that right away? I think someone had brought up in our learning lab, hey, that's student evidence. That's student evidence that's driving your instruction. And yes, it's not like a physical picture or like notes that you've written down, but you're having these conversations and it's dialogue is the about the student work that's happening and the student learning that's happening in the class. I think we underestimate the power of the observational evidence, K-12. And of course, students have to be doing something engaging to be able to have that evidence because if kids are listening to an adult talk for 50 minutes and then pack up their backpacks and leave, obviously, there's not going to be any evidence. But if they're engaged in the kind of lessons you design with teachers where they're like I got to see creating a chart and writing claims and rewriting and, and, and giving each other feedback. Those kinds of deep learning experiences for students always create evidence. Um, and to have a whole nother person listening and observing to see how that, how the students are grappling with the learning. Like you said, it's great to be taking pictures. I love that. And this is also data. You know, this is, this is a form of data. It's how you get to, from, qualitative to quantitative, right? It's like the pictures when we need to really look at something and look at the data and look at the growth, that's how we can get there and we can quantify those things. But as we're instructing and we're just kind of moving through the lesson, that qualitative stuff is really important too. I think about the pictures that you're taking and how you guys use that later to, to look at and maybe to sort and stuff like that to to make some of your next plans like moving forward when you guys are co-planning. But I also think that when you guys are having those conversations in the middle of co-teaching, that evidence, um, there's it's almost like pause, we're co-planning right now for a pivot we're going to make while we're in there together. So I think there's so much value in that because it's not just, we don't just collect evidence and then look at that later when there's no students around. Like it could be done right then. Um, so changes can take place right then. Um, so I think it's really cool that you mentioned both of those because it does happen both ways, not just one or the other. Well, Azra, that happened last week when we were together because the students were reading some short, interesting articles about is chocolate healthy or not? Is screen time healthy or not? You know, some of those things. And the students were having great discussions about what's the claim, but they weren't really staying anchored in the text. And we could both see that. I mean, we, we it was so visible. And so we noticed it, we named it. We had a quick moment where we talked about it. And then Osra went right to a group and said, why don't we use that AVID strategy of underlining the text? And right there, they got a boost in their learning that didn't have to wait until the meeting a few days later. And sometimes it's for that day. And sometimes it's like, hey, maybe tomorrow we hit up on this specific thing based on what we're seeing. Like I'm seeing a misconception here. Is there a way to incorporate that in our lesson tomorrow? So like you're saying, Brandon, it's like that co-planning is happening as we're co-teaching, which is which is a, ta a great time saver too. And then when you come back together and formally co-plan, um, it, it might not even take as long because you're like, oh yeah, we said we were gonna do this, this, and this. What is that gonna look like? Okay, let's move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's really um, the that... definition of responsive teaching. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I mean, in a nutshell. 
Well, so one last question I have for you. I was just curious. I worry sometimes about us becoming indispensable when we're in classrooms with teachers and, you know, making sure that we're building capacity so they can do these things, whether a coach is there or isn't there. Cause it feels like it would be a bit defeating to a teacher to feel like, oh, the way we set up stations, it needs, there has to be two adults or that person is pulling that group and that's really fixed and, and I can't do that necessarily or whatever those things are. I'm just curious, Azra, if you could speak to how you build capacity so the teacher can follow through when you're not there. I think that if there's the opportunity to, like if the teacher is teaching the same, I know this is specific to secondary, but if you're teaching the same thing in several periods, I don't, I don't need to be there every period, right? So that's like one easy way to do it is like, you're teaching third and fourth, and then you and I are going to co-teach seventh or co-teach fourth or whatever. Um, and sometimes we teach two of those three. And sometimes I, most of the time I'm just in one period because of the way the schedule is working. But the other thing I, I think is really important. We often talk about notice a name for students. It's, I think it's also super important to notice a name for teachers. So I noticed that when you, revisited this and re-explained it to students, they all got a lot of clarity. And so kind of building them up through notice and naming um, so that they're feeling like, oh, right, I was like, I'm the person responsible for this room. At the end of the day, that person's only going to be with me for a few weeks, and then they're off and supporting other teachers. The other thing is questions, just clarify value and cover possibilities. I think we like live by that in the Boys School District. I think our shirts say that, our learning coach shirts just letting the teachers lead the discussions and come to those ideas on their own. I feel like as having a math background, um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Dan Meyer, but he came through our district a while ago and he, he would always tell us that our job as math teachers is to give the kids a headache and not rush to give them the Tylenol. And I feel like now my role is to do that, but with teachers is like, let me, let me make you think a little bit, but when you're stuck or you don't have an answer right away, allow that space for you to think and don't rush to rescue you. Like, it is not my job to give you Tylenol right away if I've given you a headache. Instead, you should just be, um, you should just be there to support. And then if, if you need to clarify your question and just prompting, and that feels hard, I think, in secondary because we do have a limited time to plan. And sometimes it feels like you have to go through the things very quickly but I feel like if you practice your questioning skills enough, and if you practice not rushing into it enough, you can make that, you can, you can consolidate that in a short amount of time to get teachers to think about their own practices and about student learning. I love that. Those were great answers because I think like the idea that you only need to go in during one period, you don't, the ownership can't just be with the coach. Like coach can't take over a room control everything um, or else it's just we're setting up teachers to not necessarily feel like they have um, the ability to to carry on we're not necessarily building capacity any other thoughts you just have about any other ways that you kind of leave a strong I'm picturing like a, a motorboat like a wake what's the wake and how do you leave something behind I think that that's where our post evidence just rooting it right back into student work, looking at the growth that students have made, and then touching back on 
just building that teacher up of like, here are all the things you did to make this possible. And yes, we work together, but in reality, you put in a lot more throughout your day in this work to get students to where they are today. Um, and then just asking, what are your next steps? I think that's one of the questions that we ask at the end of a cycle is what are your next steps with this work? And then how can I continue to support you? Oftentimes teachers will have something small and then I'll say, okay, I'll touch base with you in two weeks or in three weeks and see how things are going. And then coming back and touching base with them and saying like, can I further support you? Um, and more times than not, teachers are continuing with the great work and they're already thinking ahead to like, hey, next semester I was thinking you and I could work on this great thing. So here I am just like building, building up more work for myself for next semester, which is also very exciting for me. Yeah, it's so cool to, to give the teachers 100% credit. I've seen coaching where the coach takes credit for everything and that's just, that just doesn't set up, that doesn't feed a partnership at all. So I like that you're surfacing, you're seeing capacity building as surfacing the teacher's successes, truly, as the way when to we, keep the teacher going. When we talked about mastery moments, like really going back to asking that question of what work did you put in to make this happen and having them name that too. And sometimes it's not even referring necessarily to the coaching work we're doing, but talking about one of their other classes. And sometimes when we're always talking about celebrations together, they bring other celebrations. They're like, hey, this also happened in this class, or I tried this technique that you and I did in this other class and it worked really well. And then just always bringing it back to what work, how did you set that up to be successful? What work did you do? Um, instead of just like, yay, that's awesome. Sharing those mastery moments always, it always starts that upward spiral, um, which leads to efficacy. And that's, um, it's, it's kind of contagious at times, you know? I just love that we're in three different parts of the country and we're all just like speaking the same language. I know. So when you said <laughs> upward, upward spiral, I just got like very excited because we, it's just so cool to see this impact and at just different levels. And that was what was really cool about Denver. Diane was seeing all the different people from all the different places come together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So as, as we kind of close up this conversation, I, I kind of want to create a challenge for our listeners. And that is if you're a coach and you haven't found a way to be in classrooms the way you've heard described today, if you haven't been able to be in classrooms in a way where you're using student evidence, where you're a thinking partner with the teacher or where you're learning from what's happening, then using that to plan, using that to celebrate, creating space for teacher ownership. There are so many big beliefs touched on today, but it all kind of comes back to the power of coaching in the classroom. And I'd say that if we're not, if coaches aren't in classrooms, there's a problem, to be honest. There's a problem because the best stuff is all happening in classrooms. And there can be some schools where it's tricky to make that happen. There can be some schools where where there might be teachers who, like Osra said, have only had someone in there to evaluate them in the past. And instead, we have to find a way to reframe this and to help teachers understand this is this is an opportunity we have. And that's why the partnership agreement is so important. And so what do you guys think? Do you think we could challenge? Do you think we're successfully going to help, I guess not challenge, but um, root, cheer on coaches to work really hard to get 
into the classrooms of teachers so their coaching can be magical? What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm one, I know they can, and I know a lot of them already are too. Um, but I do hope that for some that feel like this has maybe been a struggle for them lately and they're feeling that tug of like, I, I am not in there as much as I should be. Because I know that we, as coaches, we do feel that when we're not in there enough. Um, and I think, Osra, you said earlier, like, it makes me feel like a teacher again. I always use that as my own, like, check on myself. If I am missing being a teacher, I always know I'm not in the classroom enough. Because it does kind of, it gives you that that fix or, like, that feeling, right, that you have. So, like, if you are feeling that, yeah, like, I love the fact that you're challenging them, Diane, to find ways, find creative ways to get in the classroom um, and partner with teachers. And I will also even go on top of that. I think it'd be great if we can hear some of those things from you. If you are someone who's feeling like, oh, I do feel like I'm stuck like in a rut and I'm doing nothing but running team meetings or stuff like that. And you you find a way to get in the classroom, um, share that with us. The best place to do that would be on um, the community on Facebook. Um, if you're not a part of that already, you can search um, student-centered coaching and uh, you can join that group. And that'd be a great place to not only learn from others, but to be able to share some of these great experiences that you're having in the classroom. I would just add that you just, like Brennan, you said, get creative on ways you can get in the classroom. Just look for openings. Anytime a teacher's sharing a celebration, um, just saying, hey, I'd love to come see that. Is it okay if I join your class? And then being, yeah, pushing yourself to be a little bit vulnerable and saying to teachers, you know, I'd love to be a part of this. I'd love to co-teach with you. I'd love to gather evidence and then finding your space that's not just awkward with the clipboard in the back. Yeah, so, I agree all those. True, you can totally build this off of celebrations. Oh, thank you for joining us today. This was such a fun conversation. I know you're inspiring other folks and hopefully we see some in our Facebook community. I'm glad you brought that up, Brandon, because it's a great place to keep talking about this subject. And we did post several resources for coaching in the classroom um, in the month of October. So that's that's all in the Facebook group for you. Osra, thank you so much. Uh, it was great to chat with you and to just hear about the great things you're doing in the classroom with students um, alongside teachers. Uh, so I would just, my challenge, Diane challenged all of us, my challenge to you is just keep it up. Um, I'm excited for you and proud of you and love hearing about all the great things in your district. Well, you both have really built me up. So thank you for that. Thanks, everybody. Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SCCoachingPod.